0: welcome back to real balls read the podcast and in this episode we wanted to talk about what we were reading and for me that is a book called native son by richard wright and this book came out in the 1941 and this is miles from the future saying that actually it was 1940. So got that wrong a couple of times in this episode, but now back to miles from last night. So before America entered world war two,
1: that's right. Yeah. yeah. And it's a book that you have been talking about a lot, uh, in the last what few months that you yeah. have read it. Yeah. Um, would you say that this is like the most important read for you of this year?
0: Of 2022, yes. Yeah, Um, okay. I think, you know, I was talking to Jen a little bit about this last last night, but I think there are so many books that come after it that it's hard to say if, you know, other writers have the direct influence from Native Son, but there's so many parts that are so comparable to other books, including, like, The Stranger by Camelot, Honestly, it's really similar. That came a decade after. Wow. uh,
1: I didn't know that.
0: Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. One I thought of last last night, too, was American Psycho by Bret Easton Ellis. Yep. You also mentioned Fight Club. Club. Yeah. So, so, so much. And obviously, just in in terms of Black, uh, African-American writing and writers, though the book had a big influence on James Baldwin like one of his you know initial essays that really broke him out was uh every every pro Test novel where he wrote about Uncle Tom's cabin mm. and native and native native son and how Uncle Tom and bigger Thomas were these kind of reflections of each other kind of inverted and both these caricatures and and myths of um what black of what black men were and so Fallen was kind of going uh to in inter- a inter- inter- war with both building novels and that's mm. kind of how he built it in his own ground so just really a fundamental novel that I'm glad that I cracked open for today for this year
1: yeah and you know what I really love why I'm so excited to uh, interview so to speak on Native Son. Is because you don't just read the book. You like learn all the background information on the author. You learn everybody that hates the book. You learn about the context of when it was written, what it was for. You 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 know just mentioned like several books that were in the lineage of Native Son. So it's like you know with everything that you read, you really do try and like put it in the context, right? Yeah. Which is like you know one of your biggest strengths for sure. So. <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I think it just it just makes for like always a really interesting discussion talking to you about anything, but especially books. Um, That's
0: why
1: we do this. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's why we do this. Real bars read, you know what I'm saying? But uh, to start to open to open with just uh, one question, I mean, what was it like reading the book? Right. Like, how did you you know, what made you come to the book, what made you open it? What made you keep reading?
2: Wow, um, so actually how I come to most novelists
0: is I start reading some of their non-fiction first. Um, I think it was a uh, quarantine year where I shared with Dan that I felt like a lot of novelists ended up being the best at writing essays. Uh, so that includes folks like Baldwin and, and Zadie Smith and back in court. court team, I was a big fan of Tom, uh, Tom Wall too. Right.
1: Tony was, Morrison, as Tony well. Tony Morrison, yeah.
0: obviously. And so I read um, some of Richard Wright's writing about Africa. And in just the first couple of sentences of reading them, you're just so brilliant of a writer he was incredible um i just really couldn't believe it and so obviously native, native son is known as his opus his best work and i wanted to to see why mm-hmm. and i think what native son does really well oh and one of the books that i didn't even bring up that I think obviously had a big influence on was a uh, invisible man.
1: Right. Like, I was, yeah, I was wondering uh, which one came first. You said nineteen forty one for Nav Son.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. De- definitely Definitely did. came uh, first. Okay. Uh, too. Right. But both were like best selling novels when they came out. Maybe the later son was living like a block body on spirit. Um wow. plenty of quotes have talked about how much that book just changed race and how America thought about race. And yeah, I mean, thinking about it even being like 10, 10 years prior to I mean I mean to tell it's just such a violent and crazy book. And when you think about it getting published in forty one, it's kind of unbelievable. It's just this black man bigger and within the first hundred pages, there was a white woman, right? And then within the next couple of hundred is just all about the falling out of what happens. So, more mm-hmm. than half of the book is about what happens after and ends up, um, you know, raping and killing his black girlfriend, too, which I thought was really interesting because all I had known about the book was that he had killed the white woman, and the black woman's black is kind of uh It doesn't really matter. And that's kind of the tragic part of it, too. So, but how I kept reading is I think Baker's just internal dialogue is very interesting. And I think part of what makes this book, though, so unbelievable um, um, unbelievable at times is, like, Bigger's internal dialogue seems... A lot smarter than he ever could be and mm. and that's why Richard wright's voice just kind of comes off too strong i, I think in the novel because bigger is just not that articulate and um yeah well spoken of a, of a guy given his actions but who knows i guess that's that's part of the the paradox and what might want you to think about him more is like, who who is, is he really? But I don't, I don't think the reader really knows much about it, even by the end of the novel. So.
1: Really? Yeah. Man, did you? So you didn't feel like you like uh, learned anything about Bigger Thomas or was it more what you were learning about Richard Wright? How, do you, how did you even separate the two?
0: It's hard to separate the two of them, I think. And because I started reading his uh, autobiographical um, text, Black, Black Boy, after two, and mm. it's like a lot of the same internal dialogue and thinking and writing. And so mm. Bigger bigger Thomas does definitely just seem uh, made up, even though he is real. You know, there's a very character, right? talks about in the afterward for the book, how Biggerwood was born, that like he had met bigger Thomas several, several times of like a child. And meaning that he had so, so many interactions with friends or other young black boys that he kind of made a composite of all of their traits and put them into figure. Oh snap. Things. Yeah. Wow. Um, so he's real and, and and he's not you know the the thing the thing this Jim followed too is that you know every black man has a uh, inner bigger Tom
2: Tom is living inside of his skull, and i I think he's just he's literally like the manifestation of and the archetype of just like rage
0: and being misunderstood having a lot of fear mm-hmm.
2: and also being, um, yeah, just being killed, killed for it in the end. So
1: man, yeah. yeah, it sounds like a really uncomfortable read. I mean, like
0: definitely was, yeah.
1: Were you, were you, were you at any point enjoying this book or is that the purpose of it? Like, I, why was this book written?
0: Why, why was it written?
1: No, but yeah. Like what was the purpose of the book? Like, what is it? Whether it was, you know, Richard
0: Wright definitely wanted to wake people up. And I think that's where just the shock factor comes in about how the white woman is killed. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to go into it fully here because I don't want to spoil it you know, nowhere I read it. But it's pretty gruesome, you know, what happens. And there's no. Explanation as to like why, why it was important or why bigger thought that was a wise thing to do. He kind of just doesn't, and that's kind of why I, I I think the strange the stranger by Ken Lu is such a great com, com comparison too. And I would be shocked if um, Ken Ken hadn't read Native Native of Southern had who was on his novel because the crime in that in that book too is kind of
2: feels like it's not an act of his own freedom, his own free will, right? So, mm-hmm. but you asked, like, why I kept reading it?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, like, it's an uncomfortable book. Yeah. Uh, as you say, like, what was there for you to learn or reflect on or take away with you after yeah, finishing the book?
0: Again, like just sentence by sentence, his writing was like really good. I think mean, mm. it did feel a lot longer than it needed to be, but there was just so much to learn from the way he put the together the, the, the senate the sentences. And even when I think about the scene of him a bigger com- committing the crime, like the amount of like tension that right. Builds up in like twenty pages is insane. Like bigger is in the house that entire time, and is it's it's a greater amount of a greater amount of suspense that I've ever felt like a movie or a thriller or anything. Oh wow, it's not even close. And he just he really knows how to stretch that that out and
2: make things.
1: Yeah, you just feel like you're on know, the edge of the air your seat most of the novel. hmm Wow. Yeah. Well, um, you know, something that I just remembered was that uh I had a class at Georgetown called Yeah, Political and Social Thought, right? Mm-hmm. This is just like a this is a big lecture course that everybody's gotta take. And you know, the the common critique of PST as it's called is that it only focuses on, like, Western canon, right? So the dead, your dead white thinkers, uh, we talked about Plato and Aristotle and then went up to, like, Heidegger or whoever. But the only the only person of color that was ever, like, brought into uh, the class was actually Richard Wright. And it was an excerpt of Native Son. And I don't even remember, like, why we were reading it. Uh, I thought it was kind of a bad look to be like, oh, the only time that we're incorporating black folks into the curriculum is when, you know, they're apparent monsters. Um, yeah. But right. I mean, you were saying how Richard White was trying to wake up America just with like the shock of the violence and everything. Um, but what. Like, what do you think has like continued to be true? about like Native Son? Like, did you think that was a book that could be written to it's be today? It's a,
2: great, it's a great question.
0: I just don't think a black man could be this violent
2: and in, in uniform now. Like I'm even thinking of a movie like Get Out, like, you know,
0: he is put in that terrible place first, and then he like has to use violence to get out of the mm, house, mm-hmm. but like, he would, he wouldn't just like kill that white white girl Jaws jazz cause yeah, in the movies about it. You know, what I'm yeah. saying I just don't think um there is an adaptation of a native a native son that came out though as a though in the last couple of years. Uh, Dang, really? From Lone, like the actor. I'm was his name, he's a great actor. But yeah, and then there was one that came out in the 80s,
2: 80s too. But I, I think all of the themes are relevant. And I think part of anything that
0: anyone ever wrote about race, yours can say, like, oh, but how much have we really grappled like, with? Uh, that's <laughs> always been a good thing. Have things <laughs> changed? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The the way he even talked about uh, Chicago feels a lot different, at least, probably the majority of, of folks here. But I'm sure there are always going to be folks that live exactly like they did back in the days, too,
2: mm-hmm. uh, in
0: terms of poverty and the harshness of the can uh, of the community in, in general. So,
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, I can't I can't even say. yeah yeah
1: well i mean uh as you know uh, you know taking the the crimes themselves aside i mean something that i've noticed about books that i read is that there's always ways that i relate to different characters so like what what to you was relatable if at all about bigger thomas
2: ah man it's a great question i think
0: really misunderstood, but Really? I think at the end of the day, I don't really have his level of rage or I can't even fathom like how black men felt that disrespect back in the day. But I think she articulated it well. And I think we all do have some ambient anger that just kind of boils under the surface because we... Are taught
1: not to express
0: it.
1: So, not to express the anger or not to express anything.
0: Yeah, yeah, we were talking about this a little bit this night, too. It's just like feeling like it has to be stuffed down and stifled because when we get angry, it just looks a certain type of way. And it's it's the center for Black Woman, woman too, and their own um, specific. And 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 stereo at the same time to them.
1: Yeah, I mean, what does it mean to be understood, though? in your In your own experience, like
0: to be understood, it would feel like everything would have to go your way, which is not good. Right? Yeah, at all. Or like, Interesting. Every, like the okay, outcome yeah. of everything that you say or do would be a positive one. Because if it was ever negative, is when you start to feel like, oh, misunderstood. I always made like, oh, this, this yeah. art, and no one's buying it. Or I, I, I <laughs> at this book, and no one's reading it. You know, right? And if everything was always positive, like yes, you would always feel understood, but then also, it just seems terrible too. So, right to be understood, but that's that's a that's a outcome that's kind of um, thinking maybe too too far ahead. So I'll think about. Just on a more momentary basis, what it means to be understood.
1: Or misunderstood, you know?
0: Right. I think you're understood when
2: you see a part of you reflected back to you. Hmm. Yeah. And then what about misunderstood? When you don't see it reflected back? Is when I think it's more about when you're too blind
0: to see it. Dang, yeah,
2: interesting. Barred. That was, deep. Yeah, that was deep. <laughs>
0: Dang. It's okay. More about when right. you refuse, like your self consciousness, kind of
2: uh, makes you, yeah, think that. There's nothing or no
0: one out there that can't un- understand you. What mm. does that all about
1: what you want to think or, mm. or say? Man, so I mean, what do you, so like, I definitely resonate with that. And you were just saying yeah. that, you know, you also feel misunderstood in that way. So where, what is that self-consciousness? Like, where is that coming from?
2: For all humans or for me? Or no, for me? you, for you. Like, oh, really? Yeah. Self-consciousness for me. Where does it come from? I don't know. God, maybe.
0: (laughs) No, I mean, I think it's always about just like
2: the right thing to say. I think that's what causes the problem when folks, when I think too much about the order of things, and how things are right or wrong. mm
0: am Because you're always trying to place your yourself with the rest of the world, and all of your friends, and people around around you. And so the self-consciousness comes from that ordering process, that figuring, how that happens. Yeah. It's like, oh, uh, this is right, this is wrong. If I, if that's right, and this is wrong. I'm this and I'm this. Mm-hmm.
1: It's got dualism. Yeah, right. So, right.
0: Do you think you're a very self-conscious
2: person?
1: Uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um,
2: how does that change over time? Well, I think
1: when you know when you're different or feel self-conscious of your differences. It only reinforces you to continue thinking about it. Right. Um, you know, in particular, right. If we're in a school where we don't look like most of the kids that are there, I think, you know, um, I just grew to become more self-conscious of like my race, my size, my gender, like how I came off around Mm -hmm. other people. Um, I think it made me very sensitive to how I interact with other people, but it also made me a little less aware of like how I actually felt or how I could actually communicate. Um, And I think that does get back to what we're talking about with bigger, right? Just in terms of this inability to communicate in ways um, and express yourself emotionally. Right. Right. And then it just leads to like blowing up and rage. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, though. Um, and I'll ask you about this, too, because of your love of bo- boxing and martial arts. is like Bigger, you know, says in the book that he felt more alive, more like a man when he killed the white girl. And it's like this feeling that our man masculinity is complemented by violence in a sense. Mm-hmm. And for for you with fighting is kind of like you no, know, with you know, I think a lot of men with for fighting is kind of that that taste of that violence violence feeling, but I wouldn't even say that word or use that word. Violence is a very strong word. Yeah. well, so is fighting that?
1: Yeah. I mean I think it might've been more so like when I first started, um, you know, I mean, we grew up watching, right. Like, you know, all the boxing greats with our, with our dad and grandfather. And I think as violent as it was, there was also this element of like creativity and expression that was so clear and like their personalities and, you know, how everyone has a different style when they box. Right. And when I, you know, chose to start boxing and learn. Um, I was coming off of, you know, a lot of different team sports in high school. Uh, I loved the intensity, the physicality. Um, But what's interesting about boxing is that as intense as it is physically, like it's, or as violent as it may seem, it's also like a very intimate thing, right? Where even now I feel connected to people that I was like, boxing a lot with in college, Mm. um, just off of that, like Mm. physical interaction, that dance, like you really are kind of vulnerable with a person in a way, um, that you're not, yeah, well, no, no, I mean, you're, you're protected, right. And you got shirts on and like, and, and I think that's part of it too. Right. Is that like, I think what makes martial arts so special is that it creates like a sacred space for that kind of like physical struggle and the fighting, Um, which definitely chilled me out in like every other way. Like once I started boxing, I was like, man, there are like very clear boundaries around like when it's okay to do this. And I think it was in a way like a practice in, you know, self-control, right. And and not even self-control, but like knowing how to express myself, release, like pay attention to how I'm feeling. I mean, right. I mean, you know, there was one time, uh, when uh, me and my teammates were at the the local, like the, the campus uh, restaurant that was open like 24 hours. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure it was right after the McGregor and um, it was right after the McGregor and uh, Mayweather fight. Or it could have been some other fight, but we were watching fights, right? And then we we show up to this place called Epi's and we're like, man, how fun would it be to just like start a fight right now? And like, we're totally joking. We're not even going to do anything. Right. But then what happens? Like within 30 minutes, like, you know, this, this, these kids on the baseball and track teams end up like fighting and we're right there to like break it up. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, that was fully just off of our ability to like feel comfortable in feel comfortable in a situation Mm -hmm. like that, where it was like very like intense and aggressive and very quickly moving. Like we were right there. And I think that really spoke to, you know, not only the power of us, like as a group, but just like what boxing can do and like helping you choose when to like go to that place and like when not to Right, um, you know, 30 minutes from us breaking up that fight, the, basketball and football teams got into a fight and we didn't even get in that one. We were like, that's just too much. Oh, man. Yeah, it was. Sports? Yeah, it was crazy, man. It was just, you know, there was something in the air that night, yeah. apparently. Um, but right. Uh, in a recent review that I did of um, of The Color Purple, uh, I, well, it was kind of a review. It was more of like a reflection that I posted for band book week. Um, I had written about how that book got me thinking differently about what masculinity is. Um, in particular, they, that book definitely Alice Walker, like does an incredible job kind of dispelling the the myth or the idea that like masculinity is only tied to your capacity for violence. Right. Um, and so, yeah, do I feel more like confident from my experience boxing? Like, yes. Like, do I think that makes me more of a man. Like, I don't think so actually. Um, I feel more human, right. I feel more connected. Part of that as well is because my boxing team was mostly girls. Right. And, you know, a lot, most of my captains, some of the like best pe- players on the team, best athletes on the team were, you know, women. And at that point you're just interacting as, you know, humans and with all the respect that that entails. Um, So I I think I was lucky in that sense. I would definitely say that traditionally, right, like martial arts are, you know, associated with that kind of masculinity, but I think there's more to it than that. And I'm still trying to figure it out myself, but.
0: That's fascinating. That reminds me. I was actually reading this other um, Baldwin essay earlier this week, Here Be Dragons. Oh, yeah, uh, freaks and the I do a, a Yeah, man. it's one of your favorite you know, essays, but yeah, and he talks about how we all have both my high, my high school and feminine qualities but
2: in the, in the jaw
0: of God, and how we
2: call freaks freaks because they. They they show that that fear of let's say as as men
0: the 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 feminine inside of us, mm-hmm. you know, and we fear embracing that, and that is why you know we deem queer folks, Greeks, you know, as us kind not of I say I mean, uh, definitely when you say it really is not makes it more human. Because there are so many women that obviously share a lot of the same qualities. I, yeah. I don't think where it's exactly does, mm-hmm. does the same in every single way.
2: Sure. But every emotion is available to every person. Mm-hmm. So, mm hmm.
1: And yeah. And, you know, there's definitely a fighter in anybody and mm-hmm. everybody. Um, and it just, you know, is was expressed in a lot of different ways. But even then, right, like, you know, we're not necessarily fighting to destroy. We're also like fighting to build. And I think maybe that's part of like where I take issue with, you know, ideas of masculinity as just being like destructive, right? It's because I think like at the end of the day, it's our combination of like energies and just our personality that can be creative in a sense um but of course, right, like what models of that do we have um I guess you know to your point about here be dragons like it's it's the people who are like outcasted in a lot of cases yeah. um for for whatever reason, but particularly you know the ways that they uh come across in their dress and mannerisms and everything.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Actually, I'm going to go back to what I just said, though, forming into to a question. Do you actually think that every emotion is available to every person? Mm. I think that goes back to what being understood means because people feel misunderstood when they see a discrepancy between their lives and others and they're like, no one, no. No one... I actually can access the most emotion I'm feeling, because no one else has lived my life.
1: Mm Hmm. Mm. Yeah, I think
2: emotions are bigger than people. Interesting. Speak on.
1: Well, I think that. uh, I think that knowing that different forms of life have emotions and feel like just means that, you know, something like anger is something that grabs hold of like an individual in a very particular mm-hmm. context, depending on their experience. But it's, but it is a, like it is a being that has the potential to grab onto anybody um, wow. in the right situation. You see what I'm saying? That's crazy. So it's not even that like almost to reverse what you're saying, right? It's not, it's not necessarily that like people have access to all emotions, but all emotions have access to us. Like, I don't even know if that's, <laughs> if that's, that's just is. super weird, but no, that's, that's just that's, that's yeah. True. Yeah. primates and sharks and
0: other creatures. They all have anger and we've seen, you know,
1: potentially, yeah, ogres, right. <laughs> Here be dragons, right? It's talking about like monsters and, and how we're tied up and things larger than ourselves. Um, but actually I think, you know, this kind of, this kind of elaborates further on just what we're talking about around, you know, self-consciousness and, you know, how much we feel separate and alone or misunderstood yeah. and how that turns into catastrophe. Right. But, um, right. Like, you know, I, I think uh, the more that you think that you're the only person, like, feeling that emotion, like, we have that emotion, like, we're the ones holding it and containing it, like, it becomes a lot harder to connect with other people through, the, through those feelings, right? Um, yeah. And so that's something that I've been trying to, like, see recently, I guess, is just how um, emotions can be so much bigger than me and can be, you know, grab and hold of anybody. And I think books really did help me see that too, just because it, it's almost, um, it's almost scary. Like it's almost scary how well a book can like capture us and like really hold us. And like, even though Richard Wright uh, wrote this book in 1941, as you said, like there was something about his energy that he put into it that was able to like hold your attention and hold your attention for however many pages of the book yeah. um even now talking about it right like it was clearly okay. an important book and right there's just something there that's that's held in that book and that story that kind of transcends time right and the way that you can pick it up uh 80 years later
2: wow and the way you're talking about that and even how emotions are bigger than people is
0: these really good writers are kind of like aikido masters of emotion <laughs> basically because they can utilize it we get into sentences again we, we talked about tony morrison how uh, we'll feel literally disgusted like said to our stomach over things that she's written, and that, that's not even like, oh, she's a terrible writer. It's like it's so visceral.
1: It's like, how does she do that? Yeah, like, that is. It was mean, intentional. That's what yeah. I'm saying. But she was sitting with
0: that, all of that, like the av- av- avatar, and bending <laughs> all the elements. Seriously, <laughs> that, that I think yeah. that is a great met- metaphor. For
1: yeah. Me. No, absolutely, absolutely.
0: That's what they can do and make you feel all that at, at once and then just go to the next page right. with a totally different tone, Right. which is where I just find captivating, really captivating about it. And right on that same level, writers are meant to have, are trained to have a lot of empathy and be able to talk about emotions well and talk about them better than the reader can. And that's what really grabs them. At it is seeking that clarity of emotion, of the feeling that they can't capture yet. And that's why they keep reading. And so, wow, thinking back to Neger, again, though, that's why I can't read it. Like fundamentally, that book is about yeah, it is a piece of every Black person in this country, whether they know it or not. I Damn. feel like reading that you really are leading a piece of, of your heritage and just a really important lead from some that point of view.
1: Mm. Mm. So, is that why you would say that you recommend it? That's why I recommend it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I recommend any and all books,
1: even good. if it's trash. Really? Yes. <laughs> it's like, How are we supposed to trust you, bro? <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right. <laughs> if a book
2: is not good, who would know until you read it? So let's say there's a book. Out there that no
0: one's read <laughs> i obviously recommend them to read it because they could have the most beautiful gold in there or it could have yeah trash but then what is beauty if we didn't have trash trash helps us sort through the view interesting you're <laughs> different and be yeah. grateful for
1: it. okay yeah so
0: that's why i recommend any and all books
1: <laughs> but wait are you saying that you're recommending books that you haven't read before
0: Because it helps me. It would help me. It's basically saying, like, I recommend other people to sit in peace and try to finish and focus on one thing. Right. (laughs) Even if it takes all of their patience. Right. Because, like, spiritually, that's a good exercise. Really? Yes.
1: Just okay. I see. I see what you yes. mean. So you're more saying like, you're more saying like, you'll recommend anything, even if you haven't read it, because you <laughs> believe reading is that important. <laughs> Just sitting down so. to read. Yeah. yeah, I guess so. Yeah, mm-hmm. it doesn't even matter what the book is. That makes I'm sense. Trying, trying, no, that makes sense. Actually, yeah, I mean, that I makes mean, sense. I mean, I yeah. yeah. Even, you
2: know. You know the darkest, scariest books. I think there are parts of, you know, society's collective unconscious
0: and shadow that maybe are worth diving into more. Mm-hmm. I might not be the negative reader because I don't want that on my on my own spirit, but <laughs> I, I recommend someone else to you
1: know, right. So. I see. Yeah. I see. That's its own form of Aikido, bro. You're just like, you're just getting yourself out of the way, man. I said, take myself out of the equation. You want to read that? Go ahead. Yeah. Do you think that you will read negative sign though? Oh, I mean, I'm definitely, well, I think. Interestingly enough, uh, one thing that you said in passing really resonated with me was that you were talking about how much of his like thought process and, kind of like internal world is brought forward in the book. Yeah. And that is something that, um, you know, Toni Morrison has written nonfiction about, right? Just the importance of uh, slave narratives and like her own form of writing for mm-hmm. talking about the interiority, like the ways in which like black people think about things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's actually interesting putting, uh Uh, Richard Wright, Tony Morrison, and uh, Fight Club author. Chuck Palahniuk. Yeah, Chuck Palahniuk Mm -hmm. into conversation with each other because Chuck Palahniuk, I saw saw a piece that he wrote about saying like, hey, like if you want to write, like get rid of all thinking words. He was like, like don't write thought, don't write wonder, don't write like, anything related to like internal, like it was always about like, oh, you move this, like use push and like action verbs that are actually doing things in the world. And yeah, it was a very interesting take, right? And I, up until that point, you know, loved using wonder as a verb, right? I wonder about this um, because I think that George M. Johnson does a great job of that in their books. But right, I was just thinking about how like, so much of uh Tony Morrison's work, you know does a great job of showing interiority um, but then a book like Fight Club will you know strictly be about like what people are doing in the world. and so when you just when you were describing that about um bigger Thomas and the way that Richard Wright wrote this book, I was like, man, like this is a great example of that dynamic um, because especially in a world where people are self-conscious and feeling separate and alone there's a lot of there's a lot of interior thinking going on right that are thoughts that people have and questions and worries and uh none of it's getting really expressed right which goes to our whole thing about being misunderstood so yeah yeah, i mean i definitely don't (laughs) i definitely don't want um you know some of the things that you said on my spirit i mean that's definitely hard to to read through and you know, yeah, I guess I'm curious, you know, how anybody, uh, not just you, comes out differently from reading that book. Um, But, you know, it's not like I haven't read like scary books in that way either. Right. So, yeah, yeah, I'm open to it. I'm open to it for sure. Um, I I, I think about Native Son and Invisible Man in similar ways as just being like, you know, kind of like horror stories about the about the like loner black men and you know that that's a lot that's a lot to that's a lot to put on us um I definitely yeah it is too it is a little too real, but I definitely want to uh at least be open to reading them for the yeah. sake of just learning right and going through that process of reading them and you know seeing how much you know we and other people are a part of their legacy right as as important yeah. of books as they are yeah um But right, you know, as as we've been saying, right, like Tony Morris and Alice Walker, like those are great authors as well. And we're also in their legacy and they're responding to both of those texts in in a way. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just seeing how all that is in conversation is very interesting to me. Um, So I'm definitely I'm definitely interested for sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I wonder. I think. If Publishers have
0: um, a manuscript of a Toni Morrison or a Richard Wright type figure that they haven't published yet, I would love for one of them to do an experiment where they actually publish them under different names. And I don't know if that's even legal. (laughs)
2: but probably
0: be not really interesting <laughs> if the interpretation of a native son type work by Richard Wright would change if it was published under the name Tony Morrison
1: interesting yeah I mean I feel like people no nah, I mean uh, there are two no I do yeah. but I feel like those two in particular are such well-studied authors that everyone would know <laughs> that it wasn't that it wasn't actually her writing, you know what I'm saying? True. Um and vice versa.
0: I think this is what I also think, you know, we just talked about over the years, but it always feels like you never you never can read the text on its own. It's impossible, right? And we were talking about context earlier and it's hard not to always think about the author and the time period. Yeah. Yep. A lot of the time, though, it feels like you are simply reading the author.
2: And even if it's a novel, what you're interpreting ends up being your
0: interpretation of who you think that person is. For sure. Right? You sure. know, I was thinking about this, a great... Another great analogy for this is comedy. Honestly, I think stand-up, and especially the last decade, has entered a difficult, difficult kind of terrain where things do seem, seem very political, very racial. But it matters a lot, like who is saying what joke and and when. Yeah, definitely. can can be funny when one person's saying it, but when another is, it's not. And so it's less about the joke because if the joke was funny, it would be funny in both contests. Would it it's not? not? Can it's said differently? But it's also said differently because of different people. But the the, the the same joke told by two different people and never the same joke.
1: Right. But you're just saying that it that that the a funny joke would be funny no matter who's telling it Which it is, should be. No, but why should it be though?
0: Yeah.
1: Context. Context. So. Context is key. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Real Ballers Read. If you liked the episode, subscribe to it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And please leave a review too. We really want to know how we're doing, how y'all are vibing with our conversations. And we want to serve our audience even more as we grow. So we would love your feedback on our episodes and really appreciate it. You can also follow us on Instagram at Real Old Ballers Read for the best book re- reviews on Instagram. Thank you and we'll catch you in the next episode.